He is a retired master sergeant from the Army National Guard in New Jersey, served 18 years, worked in military police, instructor, protective service, agent in Iraq. Also, he worked undercover for the gang and narcotics unit. His appointment coupled with stress of his job led to severe, high-functioning PTSD. He's now an ambassador for Canines for Warriors, and he's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Contacting us from New Jersey. We have David Crenshaw on the phone. David is a retired master sergeant with the Army National Guard. Uh, He's from New Jersey. He served 18 years in various roles in military, police, instructor, protective service agent in Iraq. He worked undercover for the gang and narcotics unit in the United States. His stress level and trauma led to severe high-functioning PTSD. Uh, and before we go any further, David, thanks for your service. And secondly, thanks for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Thank you, John. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. It's good to have you here. And uh, one of the things I like about your story, we have talked a little bit before this interview, is David is a good example of there's light at the end of the tunnel. The things get really bad, but people can still have a high-functioning, high-quality life. Was that how you describe what you're, you're, how you're living today? Absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, on paper, I'm diagnosed with PTSD. For those who don't know me or never had the chance to hear my story, it'd be hard pressed for them to uh, know that I have PTSD or suffer from it unless they saw my service dogs. That's one of the things I love to hear because, and without going into my story, people that look at me would have no idea of how things, how really bad things got, why they got that way. All they know is I'm stable, I got a good life, I have a happy life, and I'm a happy, productive member of society that can be trusted all the time. And, and that's the big important thing right there, right? I think we all want to be happy. We all want to be able to contribute to society. Yeah, well, 100%. Before we get into your story about the PTSD, I want to lay a little background. You were with the Army National Guard for 18 years. You had combat deployments. You had stateside deployments. And you also worked uh, undercover for the gang and narcotics unit. A lot of people believe of cause and effect. They think of one single incident that came along that was a straw that broke the camel's back. Or there was one traumatic incident that all of a sudden was life-changing. And for many of us, it was one incident or two incidents that pushed us over the edge, but it was accumulation of everything. How would you describe the trauma and stress you went through? Uh, You know, exactly like you said, cumulative. Um, You know, diagnosed with complex PTSD, it really encapsulates all the traumas that I had sustained and you know from my onset of doing emergency service in the volunteer side of the house you know starting at a young age of 16 moving on 
on into you know joining the military at 17 in high school still you know going off to a combat deployment you know you got your your traumas that you witnessed there then you come home you know at that point I became a fireman dealing with my natural traumas that incur in that and then moving over over to the uh police world and then naturally you know we could you know most people obviously on the show know about most of the traumas that police officers sustain from just responding to scenes you know family incidents you know, and a big important part of this, too, that we often overlook or forget are our own social traumas, you know, from our own families. And, you know, when you put all that together, um, it, it bl- makes a nice little blender of uh, a mess. Yeah, a nice yeah, there's no, there's blender no other way. of a mess. It, and you really signed up for three heavy doses of this. Yes, yes. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I like to say I came in under the old school mentality where we only fix this by certain ways. And that was usually grabbing a drink, right? We never really expressed how we felt to, to one another. It was, it was frowned upon to do that. And a lot of us, you know, didn't come forward with a lot of things just for fear of losing our job, right? We know we may be broke. We, there may be something off with us, but we love our job and we wanted to continue to do that. So for most of us, we'll sacrifice ourselves for the love of the job. When you say love of the job, we're talking about military, we're talking about firefighting, we're talking about uh, uh, police work as well. I will say from what the love of the job is respectfully to anyone who is in of service. Yeah. If you're of service to as a fireman, as a police officer, as a service member or a first responder, you love that job. These, you know, most people who join this are because they love to give. They they want to be there to protect and help people and you know, that's just something that fortunately very few of us are uh offered that opportunity and really able to seek it out and uh, you again, it's no surprise that many of us will sacrifice ourselves and put ourselves through a lot. Um, just to continue to pursue the love of what we have. I was talking with a gentleman last night, and I said one of my things I'm grateful for is that I survived police work. I was scathed. You know, people say unscathed. I came out very scathed physically and emotionally and mentally. However, I did survive. Not everybody that goes into military, police work, firefighter, corrections is so lucky. There's quite a few people that really have paid the ultimate price. Absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes we reference the ultimate price as, you know, losing one's life. And, and listen, there, there's nothing more sacrificial than that. And we, and we know that um, the, the, one of the big things that with that we forget, like you just said, those invisible scars, right, because they don't see it and maybe we don't see it or, and or want to acknowledge it, it now goes a long while before it'll ever get addressed. Usually in these moments, there's something that happens that other people are now able to see and go, okay, hey, there is something wrong there potentially. I got to ask this question, and people pose it to me all the time. You knew what you signed up for. Uh, So (laughs) it's almost as if you volunteered for this. Did you have any real idea how bad it could get? You know, um, let's break it down in layman's terms. Do we know how bad it could get when we drive our, uh, get our driver's license and get behind the wheel of a vehicle and drive every day, whether we're picking up our kids, going to grocery stores, going to school? We don't think about those dangers. Is it dangerous? Is the likelihood that you can get in a motor vehicle accident high? Of course. So, you know, I resent that comment when people say this is what we signed up for. Yes, there are implied and somewhat inherent dangers with the job and in jobs, I'll say that. And, you know, we do a really, I think the systems do a really great job 
at preparing us for how to tackle the job. I think where a lot of systems uh, have failed over the years and they're actively trying to do better is how do we prepare and help or fix after the damages of the job. And, you know, from the military to the police force to the fire, we, you know, we're far behind the bell curve in, in, in regards to trying to make sure, you know, we are very reactive, right? I, I think most people would agree we are reactive to this, and it should be a proactive thing. Just think about in the police academies or the fire academies or in basic training, if you were taught resiliency, right, told that it's, hey, it's okay, hey, you, you're going to see things that are going to bother you. You're human. You're not Superman. You're, you're not going to be absolved from this. It may not happen to you in that very moment of a traumatic event. But later on down the line, we see and we know as history of wars and, and traumas uh, sustained by police officers and first responders, you know, somewhat years after they retire. And so knowing this, we're armed with this. We, we have to be a little bit more proactive, I think. Yeah, I, and, and I, I really to, address these. I used to think this was a uniquely American problem until I started talking to other first responders, other military, and other countries, and found out they're dealing with it too, and they're talking about the same things that you talked about. We are talking with David Crenshaw. He is an ambassador for Canines for Warriors. We're going to talk about more of what he sustained, leading to his complex PTSD as a master sergeant with the Army National Guard, and also as a firefighter and working in law enforcement. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Harmony with Food radio show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable, and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Current conversation on Law Enforcement Today's show with David Crenshaw. He is a retired master sergeant with the Army National Guard from New Jersey. He served 18 years, various roles in military, including combat. He also worked undercover for the gang and narcotics unit in law enforcement, did firefighting, was diagnosed with complex PTSD, which we'll talk about in a moment. He's also an ambassador for Canines for Warriors. Get more details about them. Caninesforwarriors.org. David, we talked earlier about no one signs up for this. We think we have an idea what to expect. And, and people tried their best with me to, to tell me what to expect. And also things you can do to try to minimize the effects of trauma. They said, and it sounded goofy at the time, hey, if you're a Boy Scout leader, stay a Boy Scout leader. Get involved with the church. Don't stray from your marriage. Don't look for any kind of outside fixes. But the only thing we had really was alcohol because the attitude was suck it up, buttercup. You're the police. You get a job to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, 
you know, joining these uh, multiple services in the early 2000s, that was still predominantly what we did. You know, uh, obviously, again, I started sustaining some traumas early on, even before my combat deployment, doing uh, emergency services, and just things that most people would never even know of. And, you know, and, and not to be graphic, but it's it's reality, right? Um, how many people have had to retrieve you you know a um a fetus right you know you, you, the stuff like that sticks with you especially before you're even a grown adult then you join the military and and believe me the military is great and i still support it um you know and then you go off to combat and then there's things that happen in combat and you know one of the biggest things that happened to me in combat Believe it or not, you know, I was exposed to uh, to bombs and rockets, like a good majority of the people over there. And I often say that, hey, that wasn't really what got me. What got me was the survivor's guilt. You know, when there's situations that I felt that I could have remedied or augmented to help these other service members from perishing and and you couldn't, you know, that's the stuff that sticks with you. Yeah. That's that survivor's guilt. Now, it's a double-edged sword because you come home and now you're armed with almost how to sustain traumas, right? How to deal with it. Maybe not the most healthiest way, but you're not you're not a novice to it. So now entering the the police world, it was kind of second nature at this point. I think one of the big things that happened to me coming home I came home in uh, early November, right before uh, Thanksgiving, and I want to say within a week or two, um, I was scraping four bodies off of a, of a roadway of, of children all under the age of 18. And, you know, when you come home as an American servant of war, the last thing you expect to see is that you'd be doing something like that, right? Because you're coming home to a safe place, so to speak, America. And, you know, not only once, but then that happened even twice, you know, being a, a, a passerby at the time as a fireman, being a passerby and seeing a horrific motor vehicle accident and myself pulling out four deceased young adolescent, young adult males. And, you know, when you're lining these bodies up on the curbside to remove them from the car that's in a dangerous situation, again, you start going, this, this is not normal. This is the stuff you expect to see and keep over in Iraq. And then, you know, you go on, and unfortunately, I don't want to say, you know, this is obviously indicative of all, but I would say that most of the servicemen that come home, we always look for something that is still of service that is greater than us, right? When you go to represent your country overseas to fight for freedom and ensure this country's safety, there's no greater privilege to have. And so to come home and find something that mirrors that, that's really most of the time why... Uh, service members and women pursue jobs of service, of public service, being i.e. firemen and police. Um, sometimes with those that have suffered from trauma, I think we go and we have to find jobs that meet that same type of adrenaline. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? my goodness. You kidding me? Because- <laughs> it, was, it was such an adrenaline dump at times that I, I tell people I must have gotten used to or addicted to being shot at because I did it quite often. But when I retired, when the career was over, suddenly, because of injury, it was nothing. It was like boredom. That's, it was depression. That silence. 
that silence. It's you, you know, it's the transition. I think that's the big key word, the buzzword we like to use nowadays. Transition, and that's the one thing we really, really need to work on, especially for those who were not ready to transition out, such as yourself, such as me, being medically retired. That's hard. You know, that's like telling a professional athlete that they they suffered a career ending injury. That that's a lot to take in. And um, yeah. when, when that's all you've done and that's all you thought your life was going to be and you had it all mapped yeah. out. I don't know about you, David. I had it all mapped out. This is what I was going to do. This is my career path for promotion. And when it was all over, it's like someone pulled the rug out from under me. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I was 33. So, so uniquely, I was 33, 34. And I will tell you that, you know, there was a, there was a moment that I had. And, I, and the light bulb kind of went off, and I go, something's not right, and I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling beat and worn down. And this was right after I had went into the undercover um, the phase. And, you know, I had already done it for you know, a TDY assignment a couple years earlier, loved it, was good at it, came back, worked in a, a prosecutor's office, had did that for some time. Unfortunately, what went down at that point, which really had a big change in my life, and I like to call it my downward uh Spiral is simultaneously. My mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer, so you know we're prepared to handle all these things with strangers, right? Because we don't ever we don't ever expect that we're going to get hurt, right? We all have this invincible, uh, I think, nature uh, of feeling. But then when it comes close to a loved one, right? And ultimately, my mother passed as I was her hospice caretaker. Again, my emotional regulations of constantly chasing that that high of the adrenaline rush and the dumps and the rushes and the dumps, you're, you're not prepared to handle those feelings appropriately. And so when that happened, it, you know, it really leaves you in a dark, lost space that not even drinking can fix. Right, right. You know, and you really have to look yourself in the, in the mirror and go, hey what's going on, man? Like you have to speak up and, you know, I give myself credit that I attempted to speak up, but I didn't truly speak up. Right. And I, what I mean by that is I asked to be transferred out. Transfers got denied. Now I didn't say, Hey, I need to get transferred out because I feel like I'm feeling too much stress from dealing from my, my family situation. And as well as the stress of performing these, undercover narcotic buys in the same area that I grew up in, you so, know, so it really there, was an no, uncomfortable situation. And there's no break from it. It's one of the things I hear all the time is you, you clearly establish when you're in combat in the military, you're deployed, you come home when you're a police officer, a firefighter, you're working in your own community and the things, and I hate this term, David triggers that trigger that you're surrounded by them every day. There's no escaping them. Then you throw in personal loss, family situations, which we'll talk about more in a few moments. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with David Crenshaw in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. I promise you. Great stuff heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. 
click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with David Crenshaw on the Law Enforcement Today Show. David is a retired Master Sergeant with the Army National Guard, did 18 years in various roles. He also worked undercover for the Gang and Narcotics Unit in the Prosecutor's Office in New Jersey, and he was a firefighter, and he was eventually diagnosed with complex PTSD. He's an ambassador for Canines for Warriors. Caninesforwarriors.org is their website. We'll talk about the wonderful things they do in a few moments. David, one of the things that people don't understand, I think we've gotten better about portraying what happens to our, our, our combat military veterans. There's a whole lot more that could be done, but we've gotten much better as a society. I'd say that was courtesy of Vietnam. What we don't seem to really do well with is the same thing when it comes to our first responders, our law enforcement, our firefighters, our corrections officers, our dispatchers. We seem to be dropping the ball. And one of the things, and I blame Hollywood for this, working undercover, and I worked playing clothes narcotics for years. I was not an undercover agent. I didn't do buys. I was horrible at that. I was good at everything else, surveillance, everything else. But the amount of nerves and stress and preparation it takes to be an uh, undercover agent and to be in, in bad situations, I still don't think people understand. Yeah, and you know what? I would tend to agree. And, you know, Hollywood does sensationalize this, you know. No matter what movie you watch that has a undercover component to it, everyone thinks it's, it's good. Um, what people don't understand is the reality of it, right? Literally, it's you're hijacking your own body. When, when you do these things. And for me, I always like to say that this was turning my moral compass upside down because you have to portray somebody that you truly are not, right, to gain someone's trust. Now, oftentimes, you know, we're not meeting in a, um, a bread and, you know, having some bread bowls or anything like that. Usually you're finding yourself in precarious situations and places that are very uncomfortable, um, you know, for me, there's places where I would enter a building, enter a room, lock door behind me, and there's no communication to the outside world. And it would just be me and a group of gentlemen in there. And the only thing that I have to get myself out of there are my words. Yeah. And, you know, you know, in a situation where you know you're outnumbered, outgunned, it's scary. You, you know, maybe back then I wouldn't have said I was scared, but, you know, nowadays... Yeah, it is it's scary. You truly hijack your nervous system, and you're trying to do everything in your power to hold it together just to get out alive, right? Because that's the whole purpose of this. Yes, you want to gain the, the, the evidence and the intelligence you need for these operations, but it is to get out alive. And, you know, sometimes I think we often looked at the, uh, the subjects of these investigations as, ah, we've done this for years, nothing can happen. And I think, you know, more as we go into the future, we've seen uh, some undercover operations go bad. I'll tell you that I took it with me when I started about the two officers, detectives rather, that passed away in New York that were murdered doing gun buys. 
And, you know, I, I actually think they were military trained as well. And when you hear and see situations like that, to sit here and think that that can't happen to you, it's it's scary. And I, I just actually talked about this story last night with someone. I did a buy one day, and I literally thought that was it. You know, they the, the vehicle circled me. They cut off every angle of surveillance. It was already a bad area where people couldn't get in anyway. Uh, because of the demographics, and uh, I came back, and that was probably my first time being open and real with my lieutenant, and I said, LT, I was scared. I thought that was it. Yeah. And to hear him say to me, I was scared. I thought that was it, too. You know, really put it into perspective at that point, like, this is this is bad. But what it really does to you is, I always like to equate it to a light switch, right? You come home, you turn on a light switch, your life is full of light, everything's good, you're being the husband, the father, the family man, whatever it is you may be. And then you walk out of that house and you turn that light switch off. And you're that that bad guy, you're that alter ego, you're that tool or means to an end of an investigation of sorts. And you can only turn that light switch on and off but so many times before it's going to get stuck in one of those positions. Now, most of us, we hope you get stuck into, uh, you know, with the light switch on. It means it's good. You got out, you moved on to something different. For me, unfortunately, it got stuck in the down position, and it was dark. I had and a- when you're in that darkness, you really feel alone, and you don't see that light. One of the things that we did, we had various coping skills. And as, as I look back now, David, many of them were unhealthy and counterproductive. But there's certain things we did to try to counteract the adrenaline rush. And, and I appreciate you talking about that uh, undercover situation. But one of the ones I equated to is I had this psychological thing I did with the soft body armor. When I would be taking it off at my locker, uh, when the Velcro would be coming off, I would try to transition my mind from being Cop J to Dad J and Husband J. Uh, and that worked really well for quite a while until it didn't anymore. We used to go yeah. to the parking lot and drink beer afterwards and talk. And there was a therapeutic aspect of the talking and all that stuff that helped. However, the drinking of the beer all the time turned into a problem. And eventually, these things that we were doing, I have a joke. You could have a, a cop in Baltimore, I say, that came on the job. It was a, a choir boy and a choir director, happily married, three kids doing great. And five years later, living in a basement of a rented house with a stripper. And they're drinking all day, all night. Yep. And it's like, you see it now. But back then, I didn't see it at all. And 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 the irony of this drinking, right? I don't know if you called it the same thing that I've always seen around, you know, the industry up this way, is we call it, hey, we're going to go to church. Yeah. Church, Isn't choir practice, we're, whatever it was. We're going to go to choir practice or church. That's, good. That's our time to confess to each other. But we're not really showing our full vulnerabilities in these things, right? Because we're, we're drinking and we're still having that tough guy exterior, yeah. right? Like, oh, hey, we, we did this. This is who we are. But we really weren't getting to the root of the problem. Maybe we all knew we had something we wanted to talk about, but who was going to be that guy to say it? And you didn't want to say it because then someone would look at you as weak or, right. you know, you, now there's a vulnerability. Now he's blacklisted. Right. And, uh, I can't you know, and I don't him. know about you. Yeah, you can't depend, right? And if you're not dependable, then in, in that job, you already know what that's like. And uh, my thing is, you know, I used to say, and this is what I was taught. You know, just throughout all the industries, firemen, police, military, if you can't have a drink with a guy, you can't trust them. 
And the, 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 I still see that on television now. I still see it in the movies now. And I'll be honest with you. I, I gave up drinking 30 years ago. And when people say that, I'm like, okay, I'll have a soda with you. If that's an issue, yeah. that's your problem, not mine. Yep. Yep. And people are like, exactly. you don't be rude about it. I'm like, well, uh, look, that's just the way things are. In order for me to be a happy, productive member of society, that's what I have to do. That's one of the things I need to do. Was there a crash and burn moment where you realized I need to do something? Absolutely. There was definitely a crash and burn moment. Uh, I don't want to say that I pulled the ripcord. I'm going to say someone else pulled the ripcord for me. And uh, But once I landed, and it was a hard landing, right? I sat here and I said, okay, I want to be husband Dave. I want to be father Dave. I want to live, and I don't want to live like this. And, and once that went off, right, once that light bulb went off, that was it. You, you know, that was my motivating factor. My kids, more than anything, was my motivating factor. They deserved to have their father. Their father, in my eyes, had already taken enough from them, you know, deploying, constantly being away stateside. You know, when we go out, I can't even act as their regular father for fear that I was running into people that I had dealt with in an undercover world. And I say that because it's happened twice while I was with my family. Yeah, that's and, a, a uh, thing that's tough to explain. And we will try our best when we return. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with David Crenshaw. David is a retired Master Sergeant with the Army National Guard. He also worked as a firefighter, worked in law enforcement, did undercover work in narcotics and gang investigation. He was diagnosed with complex PTSD, and he's going to tell more of his story and how he became ambassador for Canines for Warriors. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Return a conversation with David Crenshaw. He is a retired Army National Guard Master Sergeant with uh, combat deployments. He worked as a firefighter. He also worked undercover in law enforcement for gang and narcotics units in the state of New Jersey, was diagnosed with complex PTSD, which we'll get to in a moment. And he's also an ambassador for Canines for Warriors. Their website's caninesforwarriors.org. Before the break, David, you talk about someone helped you uh, along the way. And I tell people all the time, if it wasn't for my first wife, I don't think I'd be alive today. Uh, and I'm, I'm not underestimating or downplaying or, or over dramatizing that she was a, a big force in me getting happier and healthier i would love to tell you that uh, life was all full of roses and happily ever after but that's not the way it worked out for us but i have a great life Absolutely. now i happily married i've got a great wife i've got my dog i've got the radio show uh, i've got no complaints whatsoever 
That's awesome. It really is amazing. It's a testament, right, to the battle that you went through and where you came out on the other side. And, you know, that shows others that there's light. Um, And the same happened true for me. You know, in these situations, and I don't know how you could attest to it, but oftentimes when the cat is let out the bag, so to speak, and in my case it was the PTSD, it wasn't very welcoming by my law enforcement community, uh, even my family, the law enforcement community, you know, they always speak of this brotherhood, but sometimes it's like, Hey, when you get in trouble, there's something happened. You know, it felt like I had like a, a disease, you know, people just left in droves and they're like, wait a minute, what did I do wrong? You know, at no fault of because of the service of multiple agencies, unfortunately, I've I'm succumbed and have been diagnosed with PTSD. I had that side. And then the family side, they just was, they couldn't believe it. No way. You know, you've done this, you've done this. You know, that's the doctor's throwing a label at you. So the support on both sides of the house was really rocking and shaky. The military, believe it or not, and obviously because we've already at this point, you know, had 15 years under our belt of dealing with service members coming home and the early uh, onset of PTSD happening. So they really did support. Now, and I went through a lot of conventional modalities. You know, I went through the VA. I, I did the prescription pills. Um, I had some uh, critical incident debriefing counselors, which one was amazing, 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 amazing. Uh, I think she was the precipice that truly put me on track. And and then secondly to her was this organization that actually supports canines for warriors by raising monies and donating to them. Now you talk about um, destiny or or whatever you believe in. That family of that organization is a grassroots organization whose son had passed away and died in Iraq. The oddity of it is he died six days after I had actually came home from Iraq. Fast forward a couple, two, three months, I end up meeting this service member's brother because he becomes my company commander in my new unit. We later on go to become best friends. And when I sat here, and I like to call it my fall from grace because I was living a very graceful, beautiful life. When I had my fall from grace, it was his family and him who shouldered a lot of it and suggested that I went to canines. Now, I'm not knocking the VA and, and the way they treat PTSD. Everyone has, every, some, not everything works for everyone. But for me, I didn't like what the medicine was doing, right? It was taking the anxiety away, but it was replacing it, was replacing it with numbness. See, you so you had both. no feelings. You were a zombie. And that wasn't conducive to being a great father or, or a husband for that matter. So I wanted to be able to advocate for myself and, and doing so, I think there's such huge benefits to that one, you truly are caring about yourself and where you want to be in life. Knowing, you know, all these self helps and all these books and classes and counselors you go to, go to can tell you where you should be and they may give you some things, but we all know in this line of work, it's hard for us to believe those that haven't walked a mile in our shoes, right? Because we'll, most of us who've ever set foot in a counselor's office, well, you don't know what I've gone through. You've never had this happen to you. So that trust factor it takes a long time to reach that. So if you can advocate for yourself, is what I did, I said, okay, hey, I, you know, I haven't had a dog since I was a kid. 
I do remember it bringing me happiness and peace. And at this point, I was willing to do anything and everything to give my kids their father back. That was your motivation, your children. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I, I have to insert in there. I was I was ignorant to to suicide. Right. I say that that there was a point in time in my life where I looked at those who committed suicide as selfish um, and just cowards. And then after going through what I went through, I could say I, I was never suicidal, but I was to the point where I was fine with never waking up, yeah, going to sleep one night and never waking up. And that changed my whole mindset to understand what drives someone so far that it, they find peace and comfort and taking their own life. Brother, I don't know the answer to that. And I don't think we ever will. And here's part of the problem. We talked earlier about survivor's guilt. I I wish there's a way I could change that for people. I I realized a long time ago, I'm not God. I'm not Superman. I can't fix what's unfixable. All I can do is share my story. And unfortunately, way too many veterans, way too many first responders are still dying every day. And most of them at their own hand, the vast majority. But there's a, a, a rainbow, a, a pot of gold for you. Uh, that involved getting involved with Canines for Warriors and getting your dog. Is that when your life really began to change? It, it did, because you know what? I, I don't mean to laugh at this, but I was often referred to as the tin can man, right? You could get no emotion out of me. Uh, I didn't cry. And I just remember that first day, they had something called Dog at Canines for Warriors. And uh, it, it truly is reminiscent to, like, having your first kid, right? You're anxious. You're scared. You don't know what's going to happen. Is this really going to work? Are you prepared for this? Right? There's so many qu- – there's more questions than anything on the very first day and anxieties, believe it or not. And then when you see this dog, you know, dogs just have this natural, innate feeling just to make us as humans feel great. There's a reason they call them man's best friend. And, you know, you bring this, this dog out and my dog, Doc, he was a little over a year old and he just jumps up in my lap and he is looking all over me. And there's a picture and you see it and it's like my eyes welled up and it was like such a a release. Like I, I call it a soul cleansing, right? And it was just such a soul cleansing and you're like, oh my goodness, I could be vulnerable. I can be me. I don't have to worry about stigma. I don't have to worry about being judged. It doesn't matter because this guy right here, he's going to love me for me. That's right. You also don't have to worry about the stereotypes of what I should be like. I got to the point that, and my dog helps me this. I don't have a service dog like you. I got to the point where I had to learn to, to open my arms and accept me, the totality of me, the good, the bad, the ugly. All is what part of what's gotten me where I'm at today. And I sense that's kind of what happened with you and what you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, could we recognize success without failure? No. Or right, right. You wouldn't be able to notice that. And I tell people all the time: if you would have told me five years ago, "Hey, this is where you're going to end up, but you're going to have to go through all this," I would have never signed up for it ever. Right? If you would have told me beforehand. Now, knowing where I'm at, I can honestly say that of all the jobs I've done in my life, this is the most purposeful, the most meaningful, and what started as you know, advocating for my own health, receiving a service dog to help mitigate my, my PTSD so that I could be a functional member of society, turned into something far greater. 
It and, gave me a purpose. In a nutshell, Canines for Warriors has been a lifesaver for you and your new mission, correct? Absolutely. And where can people Again, get more information about you and Canines for Warriors and what they do? And by the way, I'm sure donations will be, will oh, be appreciated. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's quite costly, you know, roughly about $25,000 to train these dogs. Uh, but the impact that you get is priceless. You know, how many years are you giving to that, to that veteran's life? And honestly, I am going to throw in there, how many years could you be giving to a first responder's life? Right. They have a, what's called a station dog program, which these dogs are high caliber, maybe not to the level of a service dog, but they have been implemented into firehouses and police stations in and around certain parts of the country. And aside from helping victims that are coming into these places, it's lowering the stress level of our officers and first responders when they come back in off the road. And you, you know, get more that- details. I'm going to wrap it up at caninesforwarriors.org and get more details about David's story there. David, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much, John. Really a pleasure. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.